Now, what about this? Since we started recording this episode, Matt Hancock has only gone and fucking resigned, hasn't he? Selfish bastard. So, when you're listening to this, try and imagine that he hadn't. I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science has changed. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. It is time to take bricks down. This candle smells like my vagina. It's supposed to be market somewhere. I should be up here. What I should be back in the school on the other side of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? Hello, I'm Mark Steele and welcome to episode two of my podcast where each week I'm going to be asking, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? Now this has been a magnificent effort from Matt Hancock. He has now achieved almost every one of the reasons that would once have led to you resigning from public office in disgrace. He's been caught handing out massive contracts to his mates. He's made promises to test and trace millions of people and managed to test and trace nobody. He's not only been fucking hopeless, but he's been so fucking hopeless, the Prime Minister called him completely fucking hopeless. And now he's had an extra marriage affair with someone he slipped onto the payroll. By next week, he'll be revealed as a Russian spy, and that'll make him the first person in history to achieve the grand slam of resignation issues, a Roger Federer of catastrophe. But somehow, he's still in his job. Maybe it's like one of these films where someone has to lose a million pounds in a week to inherit a fortune. And for some reason, he's got to be sacked and he keeps trying, but nothing works. By September, he'll be caught on CCTV, stealing all the vaccines and getting Gary Glitter to shit on them. And it'll be on BBC News. And then Boris Johnson will say, He has uh, given me an explanation and the Then Hancock will be going, no, what do I have to do? This is what Johnson keeps saying, the matter is closed. You can't close a matter when you're the one that's caused the matter. If someone nicks your wallet, you can, if you're forgiving, say to the person who nicked it, all right, the matter is closed. But the thief can't decide to say that. How would that work in court? You have been found guilty of armed robbery. Have you anything to say? Uh, yes, Your Honour. As far as I'm concerned, the matter is closed. Oh, well, in that case, I, I bid you good day. This must be what Matt Hancock has said to his wife. I can't believe you did that. You've employed her. And I've become a national humiliation. Never mind, dear, the matter is closed. Maybe under Boris Johnson, the rule is they have to stand down if they haven't done these things. So in a few weeks, Rishi Sunak will announce, it is with deep regret that I must inform the British people I have not handed out any million pound contracts to mates who run a pub I go in. And furthermore, I have given no public money to someone I've been secretly shagging. I have resigned with immediate effect I am deeply, deeply sorry. It's so brazen now, someone accuses them of having one rule for you and another rule for everyone else, and now they go, yes, I suppose it is like that, isn't it? It's like this rule now that at last all restrictions have ended and we're free to do whatever we want as long as you're one of 2,500 UEFA officials and corporate sponsors allowed to come here for the last week of the Euros. All you have to do is prove that you're one of them and you can ignore all the rules that we've been told must never be ignored. 
This is all safe because there'll be a government statement that we can relax rules for VIPs because the science shows that important people don't transmit the virus. It's only spread by ordinary scum. If you're on the board of a major company that sponsors sporting tournaments, the antibodies arrive automatically because they're attracted by discussions about stock market prices. Now, Tory Minister Robert Buckland, on Question Time, said the UEFA officials won't just be here on a jolly, they'll be doing important work. Of course they will. They'll hardly see the games, will they? Because they'll be popping round all the houses in Wembley to say, excuse me, I'm from UEFA and I've come to do your washing up. Because they're selfless workaholics, these executives. During that week, if you see workmen digging up the road, there'll be sponsors from Adidas repairing a gas pipe because they're not just coming here on a jolly... So if you're disappointed because you can only have 30 guests at your wedding, all you have to do is get your friends to become an executive for Heineken and you can have as many as you like. If you haven't had a squeeze with your elderly parents since March 2020, instead of complaining, get your mum onto the board of UEFA as someone who fiddles pointlessly with the offside rule every few months and you can hug away with them and all their friends over lightly grilled sea bass in a corporate box at Wembley. The clue is in the title. They're VIPs, which means they are very important people. They must be allowed to break the rules because where would worthless people like nurses and care home workers be without very important people such as medium-ranking executives from Coca-Cola keeping the country going with their important work of eating canapes in an executive lounge? And if it does turn out that they cause the spread of a new UEFA variant that's vaccine-resistant even after VAR, they can just get Matt Hancock to say... We're deeply sorry it killed 20 million people, uh, but the matter is closed. What the fuck is going on? Now, to help me find out what the fuck is going on, I am very privileged, honoured indeed, to have with me the marvellous comedian and very wonderful actress from Bad Move, Afterlife, and many other things that you would have heard and seen her on, and local South London resident... Kerry Godleyman. Hello. Hello, Kerry. How are you? Well, I haven't got a clue what the fuck is going on, so that's what I'm hoping you're going to help me with. Well, lower your expectations, mate. <laughs> First of all, this week, with all these sort of travel people come on the television and they were all very excited about where you can go on holiday, and this seems to be the most important thing in the world now, is where you can go on holiday... And then people book up these holidays and then a week later go, well, I can't believe that things got cancelled. Whenever in the last 18 months has anything that was supposed to take place has been cancelled. There was no warning for that whatsoever. But now the government said, right, there are places you can go to. One of them was the British Antarctic Territory. Well, it's better than nothing, which is a phrase I'm using more than I ever have in my life. <laughs> it's been full of Covid, apparently, for the last year and a half. No one was social distancing. You'd get one bloke on one end of the South Pole and another bloke the other end of it. Didn't even make an effort to be more than 9,000 miles apart. And now we can go there for like a two weeks all-inclusive? Go as long as you want. Wouldn't want to go for more than two weeks. It'd get boring, wouldn't it? Well, you've got kids, haven't you? Imagine how bored they'd get. Yeah, that's true. If you take them away from the PlayStation, they get a bit jumpy. Actually, not far off that, I did that. I took my son Elliot to Greenland when he was 12. Because <laughs> I've well, always been obsessed with Greenland. And what was there to do there? Well, well, 
Well, we landed in Greenland. I was probably more excited than I've ever been in my life, <laughs> including when he was born. And I got off the plane at Kulusuk Airport, which is just a little strip of land, really. And then there's no roads and there's just a little path. You don't even have to go through any officialdom when you land. You just sort of walk off. And there's this grey slaty mountain up one side and then just to the other side, just the sea and icebergs. And Elliot just looked round like a complete 360, just looked round and just went, there's fuck all here! <laughs> wow. Count on a 12-year-old to just say it. <laughs> he was right and all. I've been somewhere a bit Arctic. What's the name of that place that's Norwegian? It's an island right Spitsbergen. up. Spitsbergen. No, no, it's further away. It's the closest place to the North Pole. What's that place I've been to? Selbard. Was the fuck all there as well? Absolutely fuck all. But given that there's fuck all to do, they arm you. If you go wandering off, they advise you to carry a gun. So it does there is a bit of jeopardy. Wow. I was only there about sort of 24 hours to do a job and I already got bored. There's nothing there. Oh, I'd love it. Going somewhere like that. I think if you go somewhere like that and then go, oh, where's the bar? And the... There is a bar. Is there? There's bars and there's tourist shops. I've got a lovely enamel cup with some polar bears on it. Brilliant. In uh, Dalisak, which is a slightly bigger town that I went to in Greenland, yeah. there was one bar called Bar, and uh, <laughs> and I sat at Excellent. one table, and at the other table there were three Inuit women smoking a pipe. Excellent. And an iceberg actually floated past the window. Do you think that was laid on <laughs> for the tourists? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Or do you, you think, think that was a genuine experience? You think they're all like, oh, fucking hell, the summer's only coming to the bar. Yeah, so they've got to do a shift. Oi, put your Inuit shit on. Get the plastic iceberg. It's the equivalent of Disneyland. It's all that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. crap. Now, this week, and I'm sure you keep very, very close tabs on the activities of Harry and Meghan. Their son was supposed to be called the Earl of Dumbarton. I think maybe he is, whether they like it or not, called the Earl of Dumbarton. And they announced this week that they are not going to call him the Earl of Dumbarton because if they do call him that, when he goes to school, because the word dumb is in Dumbarton, the other kids will take the piss out of him going, oh, dumby, dumby, dumbarton, whereas I suspect there'll be other reasons for taking the piss out of him, what with him being yeah. ninth in line to the throat. Kids will find anything to take the piss out yeah, of him. Yeah, yeah. You can't um, bully-proof your child, can you? No, by giving him a different name. <laughs> no. And then the good people of Dumbarton, so we're told, especially the mayor has gone mad and gone, this is outrageous. Now, I mentioned this because I write kind of the Sunday Mirror and they wanted a little bit about this. So I thought, I think that I can absolutely understand Harry and Megan thinking dumb is in Dumbarton and then, therefore we shouldn't call him that and instead they should call him something more neutral such as the Duke of Scunthorpe <laughs> which they've refused to print so <laughs> I mean, I've never been a big fan of any members of the royal family but no. I did feel because the whole attitude of the of the press really from the moment that she she arrived seemed to be hostile yeah it was like who's this megan look at her she doesn't yeah. even want to be a proper princess piss off you want to piss off you horrible cow megan piss off so then she goes and then they go where the fucking hell are you going <laughs> yeah quite. your job is to come here and be told to piss off but that's similar to the not being able to bully proof your kid you can't make the the british press not bully that is what they do that is their function so 
you either play along or you disengage because that is they can't operate on another level, can they? No, they can't. I sort of get where they're coming from because they're kind of saying it's all a load of bollocks, aren't they, in their own way? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And they're slowly opting out of the whole royal circus, aren't they? Yes. They're just sort of maintaining eye contact and just backing out of the room on the whole hierarchical bullshit <laughs> that is Yeah, 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 they are. So they're just doing it incrementally. So you think that's just an excuse and, in fact, they just want, to, they want him to be called, like, Dave or something? Yeah, sort of call him Dave Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Big Dave, like a proper yeah. working class. Do you think that's how they'll end up, Harry and Meghan? Living in Thornton Heath in Croydon now. <laughs> and Megan going... We'll see her doing a shift at Greg's. Yeah. Be like, oh, it's Meg. All right, Meg. And then coming home and getting annoyed with someone outside. Move your fucking car! <laughs> Fuck off. Well, if The Crown is their teleprogramme and they're sort of slowly going towards just not being normal civilians... Eventually, the crown will just be like EastEnders, won't it? Yeah, well, it pretty much is that. It is a posh EastEnders, isn't it? It's posh EastEnders, but eventually you've got to make it populist. You've got to bang it out every night. It is. If you just took away the accent... <laughs> He's fucking only gone and fucking said we can't keep our titles, hasn't he? Well, he can go fuck himself. Yeah. Because I tell you this for nothing, right? I'm a princess when it suits me. You are, sweetheart. And if I want to call my kid Gary, I'll call him Gary. And they can't stop me because it's my kid and I pushed him out. I'd like to see him try and stop you, sweetheart. Thanks, babes. Together to the end. <laughs> Kerry, have you seen this song? I don't know who it was who decided it, but there's a song that it's been decided that should be the song for our nation, and it's called One Britain, One Nation. Oh, God. And there's all these kids. There's like a film of it, you know, like the sort of thing that someone somewhere must have gone, oh, maybe the sort of thing we can put on TikTok. And they've got like One Britain, One Nation, and there's all these poor kids. And, of course, they're all very excited, and there's a primary school teacher being, come on, children, all sing up so that we can be part of a strong... Britain's strong nation, and they're all singing th- this song about how we're all we all get over our differences and we're all marvelous Britain, and this is this is us all together. Oh, Jesus Christ! What do you reckon you'd do if that happened at your daughter? How old's your daughter? Fourteen. They're fourteen. Some of the kids in this thing. Well, she wouldn't sing it. A fourteen-year-old won't sing anything. I mean, they don't sing, do they? No. They won't engage in anything like that. But I think that's support. Uh, so sinister. We've gone peak Orwellian. I'm really upset. <laughs> I can't imagine any kids engaging with that. They might sing it ironically, but no one is going to sing that sincerely. What's the matter with all these kids then? Have they been drugged? They've paid them. They've paid them. You're always going to get some kids that will, you know, strut about for a TikTok, but essentially, as a mass, it's, no one's going to get on board with this. That's my belief and hope. Yes, it is my belief and hope. I think if they try to do it in Croydon, there'd be kids going like, can we write our own mumble rap version and shit, miss? <laughs> I do slightly miss a bit of singing at school because my kids don't sing as much as I was forced to sing. Like, we sang hymns and stuff. They don't do all that anymore. Is that a good thing? Well, I've got mixed feelings about it, but they're missing out on the moment where you say, I was cold, I was naked, were you there, were you there? They don't get to have that sort of sniggering joy. Do you remember that? I was cold, I was naked, were you there, were you there? I was cold, I was naked, were you there? And the creed and the colour and the name don't matter, I'll be there. I'll be there. Oh, that sounds quite soulful. I can imagine Aretha Franklin doing that. (laughs) The one I remember is the one that started Sun and Moon bowed down before him. And I remember being ten and thinking... Fucking hell, he thinks well of himself, this God, doesn't he? (laughs) 
That's what I mean. Sudden it's healthy. It's healthy to sing these songs and have a bit of pushback. And the teacher would know. So if you would, if you think, oh, everyone else is singing, I'm not going to bother, and the teacher could <laughs> spot you amongst 300 kids and you hear this clump, 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 and then you, they grab hold of me ear. Sing! <laughs> the sun and moon bowed down before, and you think God doesn't know that you're refusing to sing? Sing! Can I opt out as a parent? Can I say that my kids aren't doing that? I think pretty much everyone has opted out of it, other than the kids Great. in the film. Well, that's encouraging. All right, one last thing that I want to ask you uh, about to find out what the fuck is going on. I know you'll have very strong views on this, Kerry. England mm. versus Germany, who's going to win that? <laughs> I watched the other games, the England games. Right. It's all been rather dull. Like, the highlight of watching the recent one, the Czech one, was when they kept flashing the Scotland score on oh, the right. other yeah, side. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that after the England-Czech Republic one, I think that really we can all agree cricket was the winner. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I suppose Germany will win, won't they? Which is Probably, really sad, yeah. but inevitable. But there's something about the sort of one <laughs> nation, one strong, one nation, whatever it's called, that it's it's sort of so, we're so deluded. And I know this could go horribly wrong because yeah. if if England win, I'll be made to look an idiot here. But there's something about the sort of we're gonna we're suddenly we're everyone. It happens every time. We're gonna win. We've convinced ourselves. In fact, I don't even why why they're carrying on with the tournament because it's so <laughs> utterly inevitable that England have got, they've won. We've won. It's Apart funny, from the formality weird. of these four games, we've won. And you know that I Tuesday know. night people are going. How the fucking hell did that happen? <laughs> Southgate should be buried alive and fucking. How did that There's happen? There's a comfort in it. There's a comfort in that arc, in that delusion, and then that resolve that it's it's just, I've known it all my life. I don't even watch football. It's something now that I find comforting, that England are a bit shit, like not fully card-carrying, appalling shit, but just they have a tincture of hope, and mostly they're shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I think if we can come to terms with that, we'd be great. It's it's all part of our national identity, isn't it? That we're arrogant yes. and deluded and um, pretty intolerable internationally. <laughs> and that's why they won't have us anywhere. There's probably no such thing as COVID. That's the real conspiracy theory. It's just made up to stop the British going anywhere. I wouldn't be at all surprised if it was one big conspiracy to keep us out. Kerry Godleyman, it has been an absolute pleasure and honour to have you with us telling us what the fuck is going on. <laughs> pleasure. A marvellous distraction for me is that Wimbledon has started and I love that it's just there, just on, all the time, soothing especially as my hero, Andy Murray, is back this year after all his injuries. Now, my love of Murray reached its peak the first time he won a major tournament, and I was watching with my mate Matthew, who felt much the same about him as I did. And in the final set, we were so nervous that he went, oh, Mark, if it meant Murray had win the next game, would you have it off with Eric Pickles? And I think I come out of it quite well, because I said, no, I'd want the whole set for that. But to help us understand Andy Murray's chances of making progress this year, taking time off from campaigning in the by-election, is George Galloway. Let me put it to you, Andy Murray. Your Caledonian dexterity serves only as a mask for your full Gaelic vicissitudes of insular polarity. As the voters of Bartley and Spen are well aware... Your lickspittle lacrimosity in the face of adversity 
in the form of Novak Djokovic illustrates merely your subservience to the indefatigable superiority of the Serb nation. That, Andy Murray, is why you have consistently failed to perfect the accuracy of your backhand slice. Batley and Spen by-election is in Yorkshire this Thursday and it looks like the Tories are going to win. Whereas a couple of weeks ago, the Tories lost in Chesham and Amersham, which is in Buckinghamshire in the south. So what the fuck is going on? In Doncaster in a few years, you'll go in pubs and hear them say, if anyone round here voted Labour, they'd be barred from every alehouse in town and the Rotary Club and the Fox Hunt. I'll tell you that for nout. And in Blythe, they'll go, they'll have to accept that down south teams have changed, like. I mean, they've got too many day and industries down there. It's not up to us to bail them out, like, just so that they can spend their benefits on sourdough and crock masseurs. And one answer you get of why this is happening is all these articles, like the one in The Guardian that went... Some have called Blythe forgotten Britain, another country. Rows of terraces, sometimes abandoned, line the weary streets. And then every couple of days there's a piece on the news somewhere about the red wall areas that go... The craggy, exhausted faces of Batley and Spence downtrodden souls line the streets where they used to sell horses. And a stonemason would once build you a cottage while you waited. But now all you can buy is heroin and top quality rats. The people of Batley are addicted to mining and though the pits are long since closed... The locals still meet up every evening for their hobby of coughing up black balls of coal dust. Their expressions seem to say, our lives are pointless. I would happily swap places with a battery farm chicken. Of course they voted to leave the EU as they believed the Belgians had stolen all their fags. But another explanation might be that life is becoming a bit easier in the north and more difficult in the south. So, for example... In Brighton, the average house price is 16 times the average annual salary. In Stoke, the average house price is eight times the average salary. So people in Stoke are more likely to have spare money, which must have some impact on who they vote for. Also... Hartlepool, which the Tories won with a majority of 6,940, has a home ownership rate of 59.8%. Which is higher than in most southern areas. But in the south, people are getting worse off. So now you're more likely to hear coffee waiters from Croydon saying, it's all right for them up in Doncaster. Some of them Yorkshire folk have never seen a coffee machine. 12-hour shifts I have to do. Six days a week I come out covered in roasted Arabica beans. You can't get the smell out. I'm exhausted. And everyone in the South has to live with their parents until they're 60 because they can't buy anywhere, which probably explains why Shemima Begum joined ISIS as the only way she had a moving out. And then the BBC will move completely to Salford soon and then they'll send reporters to wander around West London saying wearily... The cragged, exhausted faces of Notting Hill's downtrodden souls line the streets where they used to sell bespoke cushions. But now, all you can buy is heroin and top-quality rats. And companies keep closing down across the south. Soon we'll hear anguish from people in High Wycombe that go, website designing has been in our family for three generations. Those posh people up in Darlington, they don't know what it means to us. We've been shut down unfairly. There's enough algorithms in that software to keep us going for a 100 years. This area will be devastated. 
Homes under the hammer will take engineers from Wakefield down to Watford, where a house has been repossessed because a philosophy lecturer got behind on the mortgage. And eventually there'll be a crusade of the unemployed from desolate Maidstone up to posh Jarrow in the northeast, pleading to be noticed, chanting, Car sales staff of North West Kent, beg for help to pay our rent. And in the end, it'll all come to a head in the great craft potter strike in which millions of people spend a year shouting glazed artisan salad bowl, not dole. What the fuck is going on? So to help me find out what the fuck is going on even more, I have bred someone to help me, our youth correspondent, Elliot Steele. And what we're going to talk about is that Love Island is back. Certain people seem to be talking about this. Now, to me, it just sounds like another language of people going, oh, it was amazing last night, right? Because Albia hooked up with Buffalo, who is peng, but she's like been well bitchy, I tell you, because she's already got with Tiramisu. And did you see Cumulus Nimbus? He is buff. Can't wait for tonight. Elliot. You're a fan of Love Island. Yeah, I love it. What is it about it? Because you seem to think it's quite an important sociological thing. Yeah, it's a whole sort of dissection of life, really. And it's basically, it's just Big Brother, but without the terrible bits. But it only works the way it is. That's what's beautiful about Love Island. Because they're all attractive, it's an equal playing field. Whereas in Big Brother, it would be like four attractive people and then they'll just send in some nutcase that they found. But aren't there nutcases in Love Island, though? Aren't there, like, real, the sociopaths and stuff? What's really good is, that, is at the beginning, there will be a nutcase in it who clearly either didn't vet enough or they vetted so much they knew exactly <laughs> what they were doing, which is both is wonderful. Right. And uh, they'll just, like, put him in there and he'll get, like, far too attached. Oh, no. And then what sets fire to everything and then there's a big scandal because, well, they must have known that he'd done 15 years for arson. It's just great. It's just wonderful watching watching all these people mess their lives up. Right, so when your generation is talking about Love Island, are you just going like, oh, I thought she was going to get with him and now she's with him? Or are you sort of going, oh, I think it's fascinating how it sort of uh, illustrates some of the human traits that, yeah. that maybe psychologically that we didn't understand and attachment theory and, I don't know, stuff like that. What I find interesting about Love Island is there'll be two people have an argument and then everyone on social media takes these stance points of like, this is why we should teach gaslighting in school. When it's like, that's not what gaslighting is. They were just having a disagreement. So it just sort of shows, it creates these things that in the wider world, you see all this, you see all these different things that happen because of it. I think it's, I think it's like a really important thing. Are they allowed to read books and stuff in there? No, they, they're in there, they're, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to be like, look, we either want you to hook up with each other or have a fight. There's no time. No one's ever gone, oh, sorry, I'm just reading the work of Chomsky. Well, I'm sorry. But no, it doesn't make for exciting television. It would. Couldn't they have a sort of one on BBC Four? Where people are just talking about what they made of Slavok Zizek versus Jordan Peterson. No. None of those people are attractive and you don't want to watch them on TV kiss each other. That's the point. That's the other point with Love Island because every year there's like this controversy where they're like, well, why does everyone in there have to have a six-pack or be like this. And you go, well, why do you think? Stop getting annoyed that your body type isn't in it because you've sat around for a year eating pizza. 
and our people don't want to see you fuck. That's why. That's why. That's why you get annoyed that you're not. That nobody's wants you to see that. It has to be attractive people for it to work, because otherwise it it's attractive people, and then like ten just average to ugly people. And the six attractive people just going, I like you as a friend. Let's just, you know, I value your... But I don't even want to sleep in the same room as you. So can we get different rooms where... Can they just sleep outside or something? They're they're messing up the air. Love Island is just this... It is just a look. It's like a... It's it's sort of a sociological look at life. Like, once you put a load of people in place, it was like... What's great, like, there was a lad on it who I liked called Anton uh, on the last series who was clearly just a good-looking guy in his town. So always pulled girls, went to this place and suddenly like you see him go, oh my God, I don't actually have a personality. So you then see him like discover who he is through this show, like going, oh, I'm actually quite funny. Oh, I'm actually quite... All right. So a lot of the girls ended up just coming mates with him because he was just, he was just good looking. That's all he had going for him. So then he had to discover a bit about himself. So that's why when I find people like snooty and snotty about Love Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, It's kind of like just going... Oh, you just don't watch it and you just put it in this category of, oh, yeah, it is trash television. But there is great moments to it. There are points to it other than just like, oh, look at these people in bikinis. So it's like it could be therapy or national service. That's what they need. When you get to 18, instead of just bloody mucking about in life, you should have two years in Love Island, make a man or woman of you. <laughs> Elliot, you've won me round to watching Love Island. I think you'd probably find out a lot more about the world than if you watched the news. Uh, so thank you very much to my youth correspondent, Elliot Steele. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If there's anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, then please send me a message on Twitter, at Mr Mark Steele, and we'll do our best to look at all the messages that you send. What the Fuck is Going On was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests, Kerry Godleyman and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Pete Sinclair. It was written by Mark Steele, James Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowling. It was produced and edited by Scott, Matt and Podmonkey. What the Fuck is Going On is a co-production between Podmonkey and Consec Industries. <laughs>